0: Thank you all for joining us for worship on a cold Sunday morning. One more cold Sunday morning. We are in a series called 10 Traits 10 Traits of a Fully Devoted Follower of Jesus Christ. According to a recent study uh, in the Harvard Business Review, 2013, 39.2% of shoppers will purchase a department store gift card. Anybody purchase a department store gift card for a gift at some time in the last year? Oh, just, just three of you? Okay. <laughs> it's 392 in America. 33.4% of shoppers chose restaurant cards as a gift. Anybody choose a restaurant card as a gift? Okay, good. According to estimates made in the Journal of Taxation That would be nighttime reading by your bedside The Journal of Taxation The typical American home has an average of $300 in unused gift cards in their home Let's go look for those at your house These cards are often misplaced, accidentally thrown out Or only partially redeemed Get this, between 2005 and 2011, $41 billion in gift cards went unused Um, during the economic downturn, by the way. Um, I confess that I'm partially responsible for the $41 billion. When we first moved here in 2008, Somebody very nicely gave us a $50 gift card to Stella Blues. We look f- so forward to spending an evening there, but somehow we misplaced that gift card forever. Um, but today we're not going to talk about gift cards. It, that's, it's a fun topic, but we're not going to talk about gift cards. We're going to talk about gifts. We're going to start by talking about Spiritual gifts. If people have a propensity to receive gifts like gift cards and not use them, I wonder if the same could be true for the church, that there are Christians who've received gifts, gifts from God, and they don't always use them or they don't use them well. Don't use their spiritual gifts that have been given to them. Good question. So uh, that's what we're going to begin talking about today as we... um, look at 10 traits. We've, we've looked at uh, six already, and I'll review them next week. This is week four. Today, we're going to look at uh, spiritual gifts and about using spiritual gifts. And I don't have all the answers about spiritual gifts. And we're also going to look at social responsibility. What, is a, what kind of responsibility does a follower of Christ have to our world and to our community? So let's start with spiritual gifts Number 1, fully devoted followers of Christ use their spiritual gifts to serve Christ and his church. And by fully devoted followers of Christ, let me just back up and say this. The mission of the bridge is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. So our question is, what happens if we are successful? If people become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you become a fully devoted follower of Christ, what does that look like? And so we're, we're looking at traits, character traits, of a follower of Christ that would help us identify a fully devoted follower of Christ. So, what is a spiritual gift do you ask? Thank you. I was hoping somebody would ask. A spiritual gift is a God-given, supernatural ability to serve Christ in his church. God-given? Didn't come from your parents? It's a supernatural ability. It's not a natural ability. And, and it's given. The purpose is to serve Christ and His church. Um, let me uh, make some, a description of uh, spiritual gifts here as I understand them. First of all, spiritual gifts are given at the point of our salvation, they are not given to us at birth, they're not given to us from our parents. They're given to us when we place our faith in Christ. They're given to us uh, at our spiritual birth. Not when we're born, but when we're born again. Um, Every believer in Christ has at least one spiritual gift. Probably several. I think you should think about three or four. Um, God is the one who determines who gets Spiritual gifts. Who gets what spiritual gifts? You do not get to choose what spiritual gifts are given to you. Um, And lastly, I would just like to say spiritual gifts, as I've mentioned, are used for the service to the church or either to the church or for the church in behalf of the church. Spiritual gifts are not given to us so that we feel good about ourselves. It's not about self-edification. It's about building Jesus's church. Okay, we're going to look at some passages and some of these things will be identified as we go. Also, uh, I want to say spiritual gift is not a natural ability or talent. Spiritual gift is not a natural ability or talent. Natural abilities are passed on to us from our parents. Um. The ultimate source of our natural abilities come from God. We can say that. but we're not talking about spiritual gifts, as the Bible talks about. You can have a natural ability. Yes, you can say God is the one who enables you to have that natural ability, but it is not a spiritual um, ability, and natural abilities can come from our parents. Um, non-believers have natural abilities. And they can do things very well. And they do not have spiritual gifts. So I want to make that distinction. By the way, I know that this is sometimes a controversial subject. It's a complicated subject. There's not easy answers. But I'm talking about the basics here about spiritual gifts. And I'm going to walk you through some passages. Spiritual gifts are identified in the New Testament. Spiritual gifts are identified in the New Testament. So when I'm talking about spiritual gift, I'm really only comfortable talking about something that's listed in the New Testament. That's what we're going to talk about today. Are there more than that? Some godly people believe there are, and perhaps there could be, but I don't have the authority to say that. I can only say what I see in the New Testament. Um, we're going to start with uh, Romans chapter twelve, verses four through eight. Romans chapter 12. There are four main chapters, and we're going to look at these. Four main chapters, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4. We're going to look at all of those as we look at spiritual gifts. Starting with Romans 12, the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman Christians, "'For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members uh, do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others.'" So he's describing the body of Christ and how we're uniquely different in the body, and we come together. And uh, the great thing is, is when we come together, we bring our strengths together. And when we function together, uh, we're much more effective because we each can have different roles, just like the physical body. Your body parts have different roles. The whole idea of the body of Christ, the church, when we bring individual members together, we are better together verse 6 we have different gifts and here we go this he's talking about spiritual gifts we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us that grace god's favor is something that he has bestowed on us given to us he gave us grace that our salvation this is actually a part of it, included in that grace this is one of the things that makes up our salvation that he's given us gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace. God is the one who gave the grace and he's the one who gave the differing gifts to each of us. He says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Next slide. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So there's a the first list, and we'll uh, knock these off, and I'll try to give you a quick description of each one. Prophesying is the first one. Prophesying is the ability to speak revelation for God in accordance with the truth. It was a prophet there were Old Testament prophets, and they're a bit different than New Testament prophets given to the church, but they spe- would speak for God. They could at times foretell the future and proclaim truth. Um, they had a role, according to 1 Corinthians fourteen three, to strengthen the church, encourage the church, and bring comfort to the church. According to Ephesians 2.20, I understand they were foundational to the church. They were a very important part of the first part of the structure. I'm also not totally convinced that prophets like we see in the first century are in the church today. Uh, there are a lot of good people who would disagree with me. And I, if you disagree with me, that's okay. I'm, just, I'm talking to my best understanding of New Testament gifts. Um, and it, when it comes to gifts, it often depends on how you define a, a gift. I'm just trying to look at it as I understand best from the new Testament, uh, by saying their foundation, uh, verse Ephesians chapter two, verse 20, um, Jesus was the cornerstone, then the apostles and the prophets, and then the church got built on top of that foundation. You don't lay the foundation over and over and over and over again. um, um one of the things that I didn't say, and just make it very clear, all spiritual gifts operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes them spiritual gifts, and that's what makes them uh, distinct from someone who is not a believer in Jesus, would not have spiritual gifts, not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another gift is serving. This is the ability to serve God in God's strength. May have a very high capacity to serve, long hours doing and serving um, Task for the sake of the kingdom. All of these are about building up the church, building up God's kingdom. All people are to serve. We all, have our, all, all are commanded to serve. There are some people in the body of Christ who just seem to have extra endurance, a joyful attitude when they come to some of the me, most meaningful menial tasks. I confess I do not have the gift of serving. Um... I just get really tired quick doing um, things over and over again. I, re- I remember um, when we lived in our previous ministry, when we lived in Stoughton, we had chairs like this in our auditorium. We had 500 chairs out. And many Sundays, we would stack the chairs for what's coming next in our, in our uh, schedule, church schedule. I hated stacking the chairs. We had guys that could stack chairs all day long and just talk about how much fun they were having or talking about whatever. That's really hard for me. It's not that it's not the physical issue, it's just it just wears me out really quick. That's not an excuse for serving. It's just I just tell you I'm not gifted in this area. Another one is teaching the ability to teach the scriptures, to build up the church. It's about teaching the Bible. Um, it could be teaching the Bible on Sunday morning. It can be teaching the Bible in a small group. It can be teaching um, bridge kids. It could be teaching one-on-one. You don't have to be a formal teacher to have the gift of teaching. It's the ability to share the truth. It's to share scripture. What that also says is it's possible that somebody could be a great public school teacher, even a Christian who could be a great public school teacher, may not necessarily have the gift of teaching scriptures, okay? Okay. You can have a great skill. So I don't know if that seems complicated, but the gift of teaching, a spiritual gift, is about teaching Scripture. It's about teaching truth. It's about passing on uh, God's Word. Another gift is the gift of encouragement or encouraging the ability to affirm or to build up, to encourage others, to comfort others. This is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's not just about positive thinking, you know, trying to make up something. No, it's about relying on truth. And... I hope you're grateful. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ who encourage you. And, you know, sometimes we get down and we just need somebody to come along and give us a word of encouragement. It's, it's a great spiritual gift to be able to encourage, to be able to comfort. Another spiritual gift is the gift of giving, the ability to give generously of one's resources. We're all commanded to give generously. Um, there are some people who have the gift of giving who just are able to give more and more and give very significantly and they're not worried about tithing. They want to, how much more can I give? You know, there are people who give 50%. You know, and recently we've learned of people who are reverse tithing and that's, uh, that didn't just happen recently. Reverse tithing is giving 90% and living off 10. You probably can't do that. There are a few people who can, but that takes a sacrifice no matter how much money you get uh, to choose to Um, but some people have the gift of giving. You don't have to have the gift of giving, but we all need to learn about giving generously. Uh, Another one is the gift of leading or leadership, the ability to give direction for the church. Where should we go? How should we get there? What problems are we facing? How are we going to solve the problems? Um, There are people in the church that have the gift of leadership, and we need people with the gift of leadership in the church. Okay, very important. I think there are times in the history of the church that churches have put down people with leadership gifts because of a great fear of a dictator. That's, that's part of American culture. And uh, churches need to be led well, and, and uh, they require good leadership, and God provides leaders to the church. Uh, another one is uh, showing mercy, the gift of mercy, the ad- ability to identify with those who are hurting or suffering. Uh, they bring empathy and compassion and love. I do not have the gift of mercy. Um, it's, I have to work hard to uh, understand and, and to experience somebody who's hurting. I get the facts. I, I know what pain's like. I understand death. I know how serious the illness is. I get it, but I do not have the gift of mercy. Some of you do. And you start hearing about somebody suffering, and you just start tearing up. You might start bawling. You just so identify with the pain. That's the gift of mercy. We need that kind of love in the church. We need all the gifts in the church. Um, Now we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, Paul is going to take 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and this is the most focused section in the Bible about spiritual gifts. And the reason he's addressing this is because of the problems in the church in Corinth and the confusion they were having about spiritual gifts. So his writing is an attempt to bring clarity to the subject. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, there are different kinds of gifts, the Apostle Paul says, but the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them... And in everyone is the same God at work. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There are two things in verse 7 that we should catch here. Each one, every follower of Christ has a spiritual gift. Or more likely, several. Like a, a top gift, a second gift, a third gift, kind of where you're the strongest in. Each one. And it's for the common good. It's for the church. It's for the body of Christ. Your, your gifts are given primarily to reach out and to serve others. Now, they can serve your family because that's part of the body of Christ, probably. Um, they, you can serve in your workplace. You can represent Jesus. The big picture is it's the body of Christ at work, and we are to be building up the body of Christ. Now we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11. And now we come to a list. Verse 8. To one there is through the Spirit's message, a message of wisdom. That's a spiritual gift, a gift of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. That was a spiritual gift of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith, the gift of faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Next slide. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And look at this. And He, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just to clarify there, it is the Holy Spirit who determines who gets what spiritual gifts. And again, it's each one receives a spiritual gift. So let's break these down a little bit and and talk about them. First is the gift of wisdom. Uh, This is a God-given ability to discern wisdom from God, to discern how to teach, how to organize God's Word. One of the things, uh, just, I want you to think about this for a second. When you think about the church and how God um, started the church and how He built the church and how the church unfolded and God's sort of preparation of all of this. Jesus died in around 30 to 33 AD. The church gets started within 50 days of his ascension into heaven. So within the same year of his ascension to heaven. Acts chapter 2, the church begins, three, it starts out with 3,000 on the first day. And guess what? They don't have a New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have not been written The book of Acts has not been written. It's starting to be lived out. All of Paul's, Paul isn't even converted yet. And all of Paul's letters are not written. And Hebrews and James and John's letters aren't written. Jude isn't written. Book of Revelation is not written. And there is a significant period of time between Jesus starting the church and the New Testament being written. And not only just getting written once, how does it get copied and then distributed to every church in the New Testament? There is a significant time lag there. One of the great benefits of some of these spiritual gifts is that they were in the church and they were supernatural and they were focusing on the meaning of Jesus and the death of Christ and how a Christ follower is to live. They didn't have all of the Bible, but they had spiritually gifted people to help guide them like a person with the gift of wisdom. Um, another one would be, um, and these gifts are closely affiliated with the apostles of the first century. One is a book of, no, or is the gift of knowledge, the ability to understand and teach God's word. The ability to teach and understand God's word. Think about this, especially before they have the Bible, the rest of the New Testament. They don't have Paul's letters yet. But what does God want the church to do? Well, people with the gift of knowledge were of great help because they could talk about God's revelation and about what what should be taught to the church. People with the gift of faith, faith is the next one. This is a large capacity to believe God's promises, a capacity to see what needs to be done and to trust God for where the future is connected to This is very closely connected with vision, by the way, the gift of faith. It's just for some people, we all are to have faith. We're all to trust God. We're all to live by faith. God has given some people just a great capacity for faith, to trust. And, um, you know, as a brand new follower of Jesus, I just found it easy to believe the Bible and to believe what God said. I don't know how to explain it. I was an atheist. Atheists don't like stuff like that. And um, God changed me, and, and I would look back and I'd say I think He gave me the gift of faith. It was easy to trust Him during hard times. Uh, I'm not saying easy is not the correct word, but the faith came easy. Uh, another one is the gift of healing. This is the ability to heal. Uh, diseases and sicknesses. Um, we see that in the book of Acts over and over again, that the ability to heal. Another one is the gift of, of uh, miracles, the ability to display God's power. Um, it's kind of a general, just about any way God's power is displayed. I think of a couple of, uh, that appear in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, if you know the story, Peter. Um, And the apostles, there was a great uh, revival going on in Jerusalem, and the believers were selling their possessions and bringing resources to the church and handing them to the apostles, the leaders of the church. And, you know, that's an amazing thing. Aren't you glad that God didn't command you to sell your house? But they did it in the first century. And um, there was a nice couple named Ananias and Sapphira, and they thought, this is cool. We're going to do this, so we're going to sell everything, and we're going to... Come down and show the apostles that we're in too. But what the problem was there, they lied to the apostles and, and they, they uh, kept back money for themselves. And it wasn't about they couldn't keep back money, it's that they lied. And um, the Holy Spirit sort of nipped this in the bud in the early days. Are you glad that he doesn't nip this in the bud every time one of us gets caught in a lie? But for lying to the apostles, the Bible says they lied to the Holy Spirit um, Ananias and Sapphira just dropped dead on the spot. And if, by the way, as I study the Bible, it's the only time in the Bible that it's ever mentioned anybody's, uh, the, the concept of anybody being slain in the spirit is Ananias and Sapphira. It's the only one. So that's, I have to be careful there. I don't need to get off on a little hobby horse. Uh, it's just what the Bible says. Um, prophecy, uh, we've already talked about that. That's in the list. Distinguishing between spirits, uh, sometimes alluded to as discernment. Uh, distinguishing between spirits is, would be the ability to recognize, is this from God or is it, is it satanic? Is it demonic? Is this is the source God in this? this there, there might be a supernatural thing. There might be some kind of prophecy given. And the, the person who can distinguish spirits could say, this is from God. No, this is not from God. This is, this is from the enemy. This is from the evil one. And, and there's, there's a spiritual gift to identify uh, the source. Another one is the speaking in tongues. This is the ability to speak in a language unlearned. By the way, just when you think about the, this gift of speaking in tongues, it's always a known language. It's never an unknown language. It's always a language that's known in the world where, where people communicate. And uh, God used this very powerfully. Uh, It was a sign to the early church, and uh, people did speak in languages they had never learned before. Um, Another uh, gift is the interpretation of tongues. So um, tongues, by the way, refers to language. It always refers to language. It's It's just a Greek word for language. And um, the interpretation was a supernatural gift to, to, uh, understand, even though they had not learned a language, they, they could hear somebody speaking with the gift of tongues and they could interpret it for the church. There was, the purpose was to tell the church. It was a message for the church and the message was to build up the church. That was the purpose of it. That's what we know in the new Testament. Um, We're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Ephesians chapter 4. And just, I want you to know that our point number 2 is very short. You always worry about, I have this long first point. This point 2 is short. Ephesians chapter 4. But this is the Apostle Paul. To each one of us, grace has been given. So there it is again, this grace, this favor that God has given to each one. It's for everyone who is a follower of Christ just as Christ apportioned it. He's the one who measured it. He decided. This is why it says. Now, this is, he's going to go back and he's going to pull out a passage from Psalm 68. It's a little hard to understand, but let me see if I can explain how he uses it. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. In Psalm 68, he's talking about a king in battle, and it was customary when a king went to battle and they gained a victory that they had uh, spoils of war and they took the spoils of war and they gave them to the people that served them, the king. And so that's the model from the ancient Near East. And what he's going to do, he's going to say, Jesus, our king, who has won the victory at the cross, he has won and he has given gifts to his people. Okay. Um, verse next. Yeah. Now we're going to jump to the gifts. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave. And this is in that context of that grace given. These are spiritually gifted people. He gave the apostles. Peter, James, and John. And, and there's probably 15-ish Apostles listed in the New Testament, one of the definitions of an apostle was they had seen the risen Jesus. That limits the group pretty quickly. Um, Christ himself gave the apostles. He gave that foundational gift to the church. And the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers wanted to do this to equip his people, God's people, for the work of, works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So these were given to the church so that the body of Christ uh, might be built up. So uh, the first on the list here, apostles, I have described, I view these as foundational gifts for the church to establish a church, uh, the church. They had the ability, they were amazing. You read through the book of Acts. Um, people got healed. Um, they, they gave leadership to the church. Uh, They taught the scriptures. They provided administration to the church. They did miracles. Um, These were, I don't see these kinds of people around today. These were huge leaders. Um, The second on the list are evangelists. And and these are people who have the ability to share the gospel with powerful results. And um, some of you have the gift of evangelism. You have the ability to share the gospel. And when you do, it seems like people respond at a higher rate than when another person shares the gospel. There just seems to be more fruit when somebody with the gift of evangelism shares the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Uh, Also on the list are pastors and teachers. And I understand this kind of as one gift, a pastor-teacher gift. Uh, it's a, the idea of a shepherd and a teacher for the sake of the church. And uh, just a quick, I'm going to s- address slightly about how do you discern your spiritual gifts. Um, and let me just make a a quick comment about uh, my own walk. Uh, when I became a follower of Christ, uh, one of the things I had a great desire was to study the Bible. It, um, I had just finished college. I majored in philosophy, so I was kind of used to being the student thing. And I went to, at the Bible just like it was 101, 201, 301, and 401, just bang. I just went for it. And so I wanted to read the whole thing. I wanted to listen to sermons. I wanted to read books about the Bible. I wanted to talk to pastors about the Bible. And um, I... I was just amazed to read, and boy, this is so significant. I understand. These things really fit together, and it really answers a lot of questions about life. Now, I thought every Christian should think that way, by the way. It's just obvious, you know? But what, what I began to learn is, as I, the more and more... I studied, I got really excited about sharing something I had just learned with somebody else. So if I could learn something and then share it with another person, and they got it, wow, this is fun. This is enjoyable. I love this. I'd like to do more of it. And so, maybe I should start a small group. And yeah, somebody said, oh, here's, let me help you start a small group. And so I invited everybody I could get to come to a small group because I wanted them to, I didn't know how to teach. I just wanted people to know about the Bible. And... Um, over time, um, I, I had a pastor mentor me and disciple me, and he encouraged me to go to seminary. And I didn't ever want to be a pastor. Some of you have heard me tell this. I, I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to be a teacher. I hated public speaking. I hated public speaking. And um, so I went to seminary only. Why did I go? Just to study the Bible. And um, it took me three years, and I had to write a paper. This is how I th- uh, processed. I had to write a paper about what my spiritual gifts were to get to maybe pastor or teacher. And, you know, other people thought maybe that was going to be obvious, but for me, I was the last to know. And I remember giving my first sermon, and it was one of the most terrible experiences of my life. And when I got done, I wanted to do it again. You know, that's brutal. And so... um, that's how I, it started to surface. And, and one of the things, this had nothing, I had no natural abilities for teaching and no natural abilities for public speaking. And so there, for me, it was a radical change. It's much harder if you grow up in the church and you come to faith. Sue, my wife, came to faith at age four. You have natural abilities and spiritual gifts growing up together. It's not so obvious right then. It's over time that you'll be able to discern what your spiritual gifts are. Let me go to um, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we'll finish this section. 1 Peter chapter 4 each one of you should use whatever gifts you've received. This is sort of a conclusion to spiritual gifts. You should use the spiritual gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. So, as, as we walk with Christ, as we serve, as we use our spiritual gifts, we're ministering grace out through the entire body going to be like loving one another, okay? Um, if anyone speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. So this is about speaking gifts. Uh, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Is, is there one more to this where it says, To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So, uh, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? Well, first, I want to say walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lean into God. Because your spiritual gifts are not going to surface unless the Holy Spirit is empowering you and enabling you to live day by day. Um, as you walk with Christ, God will surface your gifts. Um, and it's often something that you find yourself enjoying doing when you serve. You, you feel you find reward in doing that. You're glad to do that. Some things that you, you may serve in may wear you out. It's probably not going to be a spiritually gifted area. And the point of the body of Christ is, f- when you can, find an area that you're gifted in and serve there because you're going to bring the most energy and the joy in your own life. Those are just going to be byproducts. And you're going to do the best job there. If you hate teaching bridge kids, it's not going to be good for kids. You know, but if you love to teach bridge kids, we need to get you there. Um, God will surface your gifts. You can take a spiritual gifts inventory. We, this last fall, we did a class called shape and we did a spiritual gifts inventory there are a lot of good gift inventories that help us Uh, they go through the list and they help us to identify and um, they can be very beneficial ask wise people there'll be people around you who can as they watch your life and observe you they're going to say i think you're really good at this you're you seem to be really strong here Um, wise people experienced people Uh, can help you discern. How do you develop your gifts? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. Practice, practice, practice. Do it, do it, do it. Sure, you can receive training, and there are people who are further along than you can help you um, with your spiritual gifts. Okay. Let's jump to number two, the social responsibility. Fully devoted followers of Christ engage in socially responsible ministry to our community and world. Socially responsible ministry. What's that all about? Let's walk it through. Jesus gave us social responsibility to serve those in need. Jesus gave social responsibility. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats. And some of you will know this. The time of Matthew 25 verse 31 is at the end of the age. jesus It's a picture of Jesus coming back a second time to establish his kingdom and he begins with a time of judgment on earth. And he divides humanity into two groups. He places one on his right and one on his left. The one on his right are called the sheep and the one on the left is called the goats. The one on the right represents those who are genuine followers of Christ. And we come... Uh, to Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, uh, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. It's about heaven and all the promises that go with it. For I was hungry, Jesus said, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Next slide. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Next slide. When did we see you sick, or in prison, or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the Least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. There's an amazing thing right here. Jesus gives us a major clue about what's really important to him. It's a major clue. Genuine Christ followers cares about what Jesus cares about. He cares about hurting people, hungry people, lonely people, homeless people. And at the end of the age, there will be a test for righteousness. How did you treat people? This is not the way of salvation, it's going to be a proof of salvation. How did you treat people? Um, Jesus cares about hurting and hungry and lonely and homeless people. Okay, let's go on to the Apostle James. He shows us res- that re- socially responsible ministry is proof of our faith, and we're going to see that in James one twenty seven. James says, "This, and by the way, James is a brother of Jesus, a half-brother, religion that our God that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. There's a concern here in the New Testament church to look at after orphan orphans and widows, those under-resourced people, those who didn't have enough resources to take care of themselves. And James says there's a responsibility for the church. Chapter James 2, 14 through 17, James continues, What is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. So um, one of the things we see from James is God expects us to take action. God desires us to care uh, for people who have daily needs, needs for shelter and food and clothing. Isaiah identified God's heart for under-resourced in our world. Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen They were apparently a group of Jewish people who were fasting and they were religious and they wanted God's attention because of their suffering without food for themselves. And here's what Isaiah, God speaks through Isaiah. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen for the purpose to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? This is God's heart for justice. Next slide. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your flesh and blood? So um, God is the God of justice. He hates injustice. He hates mistreatment of people uh, created in his image. He doesn't want his people to be stingy, but he wants them to be generous. Also, socially responsible ministry, this is our last point, demonstrates the wisdom of God. Socially responsible ministry demonstrates the wisdom of God. So where do we go for wisdom? We go to the book of Proverbs for God's wisdom. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. You want to honor God? Some place in your life you need to find a place to be kind to the needy. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 21:13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Sort of this self-focus and stinginess on our part, we could expect God to maybe be a little bit reserved toward us. Maybe stingy toward us. Proverbs 22, 9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven: those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Um, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receives many curses. When I read this, it made me ask this question. Have I experienced things? Have we experienced things difficult because we haven't been generous with the poor? Proverbs 29, 7, last passage. The righteous care about the justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. The righteous care about the poor. This is our social responsibility. When you think about this, if you study history, the argument has been made, it's an interesting one to consider. If the church had done its job, we would not need a welfare system in the United States. If the church had done its job. Now, I'm not saying the church should take over the welfare system today. Well, we should start obeying the scriptures. And I'm not saying you're not obeying the scriptures. I think the church has been weak. And I'll, I'll tell you my own uh, kind of walk through this. Um, so the point I want to make here is we have a social responsibility to our community and to our world. I confess that I have not done well in my own personal social responsibility as a Christian. When I became a follower of Christ... I learned, and I read the stories about some of the classic stories about Christians throughout the throughout the ages, throughout the history. I know some of you have read those too, and how Christians uh, sometimes sold their possessions to serve the poor. Throughout Christian uh, throughout history, Christians have saw the needs in their world, and they've acted upon them with love and care. Christians have started orphanages and hospitals because there were not enough, or there were not any. Christians have started homeless shelters and soup kitchens to help people living on the streets. They've opened food banks and community tables. I remember reading about Christians uh, who served during great catastrophes like the bubonic plague in Europe that killed 25 million people. And Christians nursed and served dying people and helped them through suffering, and then they took care of the dead at great cost to themselves because they knew they were headed for an eternal kingdom and they wanted to love people and share the gospel to the very end. And many, many people came to faith through those times. Um, When I was a brand new Christian in the 1970s, I remember reading about these stories, and I look around at the churches. I, was, I could see the evangelical community. This stuff wasn't happening. Yes, there were small pockets of people caring about uh, the poor and under-resourced. But in general, we were just being comfortable. And there was a little bit of inconsistency with the Bible and uh, how we were living. So, you know, nobody pushed me out of my comfort zone. I just stayed in my comfort zone. And it's really, I've seen a huge change in Christianity in the last 15 or 20 years in the American church. The American church is becoming more socially responsible. Personally, I am becoming more socially responsible. Um, In my own personal giving... We have uh, made some significant increases in our, in our personal giving for widows and orphans, those enslaved and abused in human trafficking. Um, organizations like World Vision and Compassion International and the International Needs Wec- Network and the International Justice Mission. The bridge is growing in social responsibility. That's a great encouragement to me. We're supporting Teamwork Africa. Team World Vision. You guys are doing a fantastic job with Team World Vision. You're sacrificing your time and you're raising funds. Not easy to do so that people can have clean water in Africa. That's being socially responsible. Um, Our growth groups are getting involved in outreaches. Everything from raking leaves to working in the public library, serving meals at Hope Gospel or the Community Table or Boys and Girls Club, Uh, volunteer at... uh, the Bolton Shelter, the Sojourner's House, people in jail ministry. We were involved in Touch Twice Um, opportunities. I think these are just baby steps. I think we can do a lot more in time. I hope we just keep growing in this uh, desire to be socially responsible. Um, So a little bit about spiritual gifts. We need to be socially responsible. Let's just keep growing together. Let's stand and pray. Father, we just acknowledge that you are the one who's given us spiritual gifts. And uh, may we find ways to engage in serving. May we orchestrate our lives so that we have time to serve. May you guide us in that. I pray that you will help us as we help seek to identify what our strengths are, where we, where we are gifted by you, and that we just uh, help each other as we grow as followers of Christ and as we serve. We acknowledge that we have great social responsibility. We know we can't do it all. You are the infinite God. We are finite people. We have limits and boundaries, and it seems overwhelming at times, yet help us to each... Find a niche where we can do something rather than nothing. May you be honored by who we are, by what we do, by our service together for Jesus' sake. Amen.